Give me a go, no go for launch. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was gonna say something that was not true. I, I don't know why we do these. Let's make film history. We are go for launch. Welcome everybody to the Almost Sideways podcast. We are back with episode 26. I am Terry Plucknett, your host. Join me again are our co-hosts, Todd Plucknett and Zach Saltz. How's it going, guys? Good. Going beautiful. Scott Frost got his first we, win today. Good day. Yeah, we are recording on Saturday night, and we've uh, we've seen a full day of sports action. Uh, we saw Nebraska win. We are about to see uh, Ohio State lose. We just saw Wazoo beat the Ducks. That's not a good thing. Um, that's not a good thing. The Dodgers are about to go to the World Series, which is also not a good thing. No, it's not a good thing. But they're um, going to get swept, so. Yeah, yeah, let's hope so. Anyways, we're going to start out today with a, with a special segment. Since it is a, uh, a sporting day that we've just experienced, one thing that goes along with that is having a tasty beverage by your side. So we are going to do a quick segment of what are you drinking uh, Todd, what are you drinking? I am drinking classic Mississippi mud. Black and tan. Great beer. Black and tan. Is that still the leftover from your birthday? <laughs> no, no, that didn't last very long after that. <laughs> yeah, that's a ridiculous <laughs> question. <laughs> I mean, we did go through like well, half I... of the 15 jugs, but, you know. Yeah, we had we had quite a few of them left over. So, I just had to make sure. Uh, uh, Zach... Uh, what is uh, your beverage of choice tonight? I'm drinking Costco's finest 799 uh, Chateau, no, uh, Cabernet Sauvignon um, off the discount rack, and it is fabulous. It may be the discount rack, but at least it's not Merlot. Are you chewing gum? This goes, it's uh, a little, well, my it's a little, beverage. This one's a little more my pace, so. Okay. <laughs> Andrew okay. Murray. I don't know. Tastes good to me. Um, so so my beverage of choice. I am drinking, uh, Ballast Point Brewing Company's, uh, Tart Peach Kolsch. It is a it is a German style ale, and it has a a hint of peach flavor to it. Um, I thought I'd give it a try. It basically tastes like if you took like the peach flavoring from like a yogurt and put it in a beer it's not my favorite but it's what i'm drinking because it's what i got so cheers is it in honor of reformation day <laughs> it is an honor of beer i have respect, I have respect for, for beer, for beer. <laughs> yes <laughs> You know it's good when we quote the same thing at the same time. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, let's get into what we're talking about today. We've got a lot we want to get to. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you have not done so already, make sure you subscribe on iTunes. Rate and review us. Uh, really, that does help us uh, get seen by more people. So uh, so please make sure you do that. Find us all over the internet, almostsideways.com. Find us on our Facebook page. Find a couple of us on Twitter. Um we have the uh, relaunching of Adam Daly's YouTube channel, Adam Daly Live, that you can check out. 
the Red and Brown podcast is back up and running, so uh, all of our uh, our sister networks are uh, are going strong right now. We are going to start off with a movie review, and this movie, I think, if you talk to the three of us, has been one of our most anticipated of the year. Uh, once we heard that it was going to be coming out. And that is uh, Damien Chazelle's new film, First Man, starring Ryan Gosling, the story of Neil Armstrong. And, uh, Zach, I know you want to throw some stuff out there before we even get into this. Yeah, um, I don't even know why we're reviewing this film, because I already know what both of you you gave it, and I know exactly how this conversation is going to go. So I'm just going to call it out right here. Terry, you gave this film four stars, and you're going to call it one of the best films of the year, and you're going to think everything about it is amazing, and the acting and special effects. And Todd, you're going to give it a very lukewarm two and a half stars, and talk about how the beginning and the end are good, but the middle is muddled, especially the scene when Neil Armstrong accepts the award and pisses his pants on stage. (laughs) Yeah, that was not a shiny moment in the movie, so... (laughs) Yes, yes. Let, let's not let's not relive that moment, please. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm going to start out on this one. Uh, First Man, like I said, it's uh, directed by Damien Chazelle. He is the filmmaker who fronted such films as Whiplash and La La Land. And this is actually the first film he's made where he did not write it. He was not the writer of this movie. But, uh, but he put it out there with Ryan Gosling as the star, as Neil Armstrong, telling the story of NASA through Neil Armstrong's eyes. And um, I am one that loves space movies, especially uh, this time period as you look at the space race and uh, the trips to the moon. My favorite film of all time is Apollo 13. So I really had to, I it was inevitable I was going to compare it to Apollo 13 as I was watching it and I could tell that there were little subtle nods to Apollo 13 throughout this Um, I thought watching this movie I had very very lofty expectations for it and I knew if they could meet some of them I knew this was going to be a great movie and they did I thought it was very very well done my favorite parts of it were the uh, moments inside uh, inside the cockpit, when they were showing the the um, actual uh, real life, what it was like to be in these spacecrafts, uh, it's a very different, very different feel than what we've seen in other movies uh, in space up to this point. A very realistic look at what it was like to sit inside of a tiny little thing on top of a rocket. Uh, I thought it was I thought it was absolutely breathtaking. Uh, watching those scenes. Um, I thought Ryan Gosling's portrayal of Neil Armstrong was incredible. If you've uh, read anything or seen anything about what type of a person Neil Armstrong was, he was super reserved and kind of about as boring as you come. And I was hoping that they wouldn't uh, over-dramatize him or over-romanticize him by making him something he wasn't. And they didn't. Uh, at times it almost felt like Ryan Gosling was putting in some bad acting, but it was really just... Neil Armstrong at times was just that boring, and he really pulled it off well. Uh, Claire Foy as the wife uh, was outstanding as well. I really did love this movie. Uh, I think it's one that I'm going to continue to revisit over and over again. 
Uh, I'm giving it four stars. Yes, Zach, oh, I am giving it four stars. Shocker. It's uh, yeah, yeah. I, I I loved it. I loved it from start to finish. I thought it was a it was a great portrayal of of Neil Armstrong, and really telling the story of the moon landing by telling his story. Todd, what did you think? Uh, uh, I agree in some ways. Uh, I agree that Ryan Gosling did come off boring sometimes. Like, he's the perfect casting for that role, and it was almost a problem because he didn't really have to do anything. It was just, he was like you watching his character in Drive or something like that. It's like, it's just him being Ryan Gosling. Like, I remember back on the uh, Cisco or Ebert and Roper show when they were, uh, they had Kevin Smith on there with Roper, um, they were reviewing Half Nelson, and, and he, Kevin Smith's like, Ryan Gosling's gonna get an Oscar nomination, and he has yet to really appear to act in anything. And I feel like that's exactly what, what we're still watching Ryan Gosling do. He's just doing his thing, and it works somehow. But he, I, I think he does good, but I would have liked to see someone like, I don't know, like Tom Hardy or James Franco. It would have been a little bit more of a step out, and it would have been a little bit more interesting to watch. I think Claire Foy is the standout in the movie. She is amazing. She has the Oscar scene, and she really kind of shatters any... Uh, like supportive wife role that um, most of these movies would have. Uh, I think uh, Corey Stoll. If it wasn't a movie about Neil Armstrong, if it was about more like Apollo Eleven, like I think he would have been no- an Oscar nominee potential because I think he's really really good in his his uh, limited screen time. Uh, it, it felt sort of old fashioned overall as a movie. Uh, I like the visual effects and. Like, the scenes actually in the spaceship were unnerving and tense, but most of it isn't really about that. I I think at the end, like, it was it was kind of weird. Like, I think the the actual star of the movie is Justin Hurwitz uh, with his score. Like, his, his music is amazing, and it was almost like a Mary Poppins vibe once he actually gets on the moon. It was, it was really weird. It was like a song and dance kind of feel thing. Uh... I don't think that's going to be considered one of the great space movies like The Right Stuff or Apollo 13. I, I don't think it's really all that rewatchable necessarily because it's more of a biopic than an actual space movie. But I think it's good. I, I don't I don't actually like really love it. Uh, I I think uh, I mean I'll, I'll watch whatever Chazelle does next because I'm really I'm, I I really like him as a director. But overall I I'm in the middle. I give it I give it a decent three stars. Oh, no. you, you were you were on the right track, Zach. So close, it was just too good. That was the problem. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, I am going to agree more with Terry on this one. I think this is one of the best films of the year. I think it is fantastic from beginning to end. I think this movie has had um, some issues attracting uh, favorable reviews for a few reasons. First, I think that um, there's controversy about it that was created by our our, our president who said that this movie wasn't patriotic because it didn't include a scene of Neil Armstrong putting the flag on the moon, which is absolutely ridiculous. It doesn't need a scene like that. And the the, the flag, uh, for all intents and purposes, is visible on the moon, by the way. So uh, there's some backlash there. And then um, I think you're right, uh, Todd to, and Terry, to bring up this notion of maybe Ryan Gosling being, his performance being a little bit too chilly and distant. But, I mean, that's kind of who the dude was. I mean, uh, Terry, as you pointed out, we even kind of saw it in From the Earth to the Moon. I mean, he wasn't the most, like, charismatic and, you know, all-encompassing guy. And, I, you know, him and his wife actually got divorced after the moon mission. And this is a movie, really, that that's much more of a character study than it is about the Apollo 11 mission. It's, it's much more about 
about how the tragedy in his life of losing his young daughter uh, propels him into this uh, obsession with you know, uh, getting to the moon and, and going on Gemini, the Gemini mission, then ultimately the Apollo mission. And really, if you think about it, it's, it's a way of um, escaping from his duties as a husband and father. I mean, he's really a distant um, person in his own family. You know, there's that great scene t- toward the end, right when he's about to go on the launch, where uh, his wife says, you know, you have to actually explain to our sons, like, what that you may never come back because he w- he wasn't even going to say anything to them. He was literally packing his bags and going to leave the house. So it's very different than like, you know, Tom Hanks as Jim Lovell, who's, you know, this like gregarious, happy guy smoking cigars on the Apollo 11 landing night. Um, but uh, this is a, a more cold and reserved character. And I disagree with you, Todd. I think it's a different kind of Ryan Gosling performance. I don't think it's like Drive or The Place Beyond the Pines. I mean, I, I don't think he's nearly as cool. I think he's, you know, basically this just uh, uh, guy who's obsessed with rocket uh, propel pro- 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 the rocket science and propellers and uh, ships and missions and um, he's not really gregarious and he's not like Maverick or anything in Top Gun um, he's a really grounded realistic character so I, I guess in a way I, I can understand why maybe audiences feel put off by the film but I think it's absolutely fantastic I was uh, riveted from start to finish I love that Chazelle paid so much attention and, and the screenwriter paid so much attention to the development and the in the eight years leading up to the launch that it wasn't just about the Apollo 11 mission because you could have made an entire film about that um I would also agree with you, Todd, that I thought this is, the, so far this year, this is the best soundtrack I've heard in any movie. The music is, is phenomenal. And if there is any manifestation of Chazelle in this movie, it really is in the music. There's a lot of really great uh, songs from the 1960s, n- not necessarily songs you'd recognize, but it really sets the mood and the atmosphere. And the visuals are just great. I mean, the graininess of the film, it, when you're watching it in those first 10 minutes, it feels like like home movies, like Super 8 film from the 1960s. It just looks so authentic. And the period detail is so real. And I would agree, Claire Foy is an obvious Oscar contender in the supporting actress category. I hope that Oscar voters remember this film uh, when voting comes about. It's, it's an awesome film. It is a four-star film for me. It's one of the best films of the year. And uh, I, I, I agree with you on a, a few of the things that you said. Neil Armstrong was, it seemed like he was such a workaholic that he just didn't know how to relate to people. That's kind of what I, what I saw. I mean, even the people that, were, that he considered friends throughout the film, he just didn't know how to relate to them. And whenever things would go wrong, he just buried himself in his work and didn't want to talk to anybody. I, I think one of, the, one of my favorite scenes in the film was uh, after a funeral, he's in his backyard staring up at the moon uh, through, his, uh, through his little telescope, and uh, one of his best friends, Ed White, comes to talk to him, and he says, he says how's it going? And he, and he just looks at him and says, do you think I'm out here because I want to talk to people? And that that was that was Neil Armstrong in a nutshell right there. So yeah, I think that was that was just him and his portrayal because that's that's what type of person he was. And that really leads into another thing I loved about it, and that is the supporting cast. Even yes, William Miller is in this movie, uh, but there are so many great uh, great performances. And I would say one of the things that was kind of a downside for me personally is I've studied so much about this time period and studied so much about uh, about the start of NASA and the the moon landing and the space race that as characters would be introduced and they would introduce themselves of who they are I would say oh yeah he's gonna die 
or or oh oh yeah I, I know where he ends up and and so it it kind of spoiled some of the drama for me because like I knew certain people what their fate was going to be and I could see I could see that coming and see how they were building it up in the film there was no suspense there because I knew what was what was going to happen to them however I don't think that necessarily takes away from the movie it's just it's just me and my obsession with this period of history. Zach, another thing that I'll agree with you on is, yes, I think the controversy with the flag on the moon is completely ridiculous. Um, mainly because that's not what the movie's about. The movie's about Neil Armstrong. And you could tell from everything that happened leading up to that moment in the movie that planting a flag on the moon was the least of his concerns when he got to the moon. I mean, it... it you can tell in the words that he says, you can tell in the actions he has when he's on the moon in this movie, that had no bearing on why he was there or what he was doing. Um, and yes, it is visible, it is there, but they don't spend time talking about planting it because it didn't matter to Neil Armstrong. I even heard a story where they said that there was a debate on whether to take an American flag to the moon or whether to take uh, a miniature flag of every nation of the world and put it up there because they were traveling on behalf of the world, not on behalf of America. So, yes, that controversy is completely ridiculous, and it doesn't do anything to this movie to not have that moment in there. Yeah, well, I mean, Trump supporters wouldn't see this movie anyway. But, like, you know, the thing is, like, even if even if you are a, a, an uber expert at uh, the, na the development of NASA, like Terry is, you know, this is a movie that is... You can still appreciate the development of it, even if you know what's going to happen next. And I imagine that was, you know, a, 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 a conflict that they had in devising the script for this. I mean, it was the same kind of problem that Ron Howard had with Apollo 13. Everyone knows the ending, right? So there's no surprises. And I think what Chazelle and Josh Singer did, the screenwriter, is the focus became much more on the character of Armstrong, which I think for a lot of people is going to be something new that they, they really didn't know. I mean, they, you just assume that Neil Armstrong is someone who's gregarious and, you know, public and friendly and whatever. And that's the public persona that NASA is so good at generating and cultivating as this movie and Apollo 13 both portray. But the truth is, this is someone who's who's tortured and someone who's dysfunctional and um but it's also not a movie that that is trying to whitewash him in any way or demean his greatness um it's a movie that's just trying to show how his personal tragedies were built into uh his his drive and his uh desire to achieve this goal and the the fusion of the personal and the work is just brilliant and particularly the the, the, the last 20 minutes of this movie in a, in a really strange and unexpected way are extremely moving and it has actually relatively little to do with the landing of the moon itself i think it's really interesting how the movie portrays neil armstrong and buzz aldrin as just weird guys they're, they're just they were just weird and awkward and didn't really know how to relate to people and were just buried in their work which really made them the perfect choices to be on that on that flight and to make that landing and i agree uh todd i think you're the one that said Corey stole absolutely amazing as buzz aldrin and yes if he had just a little bit more screen time i could see him being being someone who'd be considered for uh for some awards but yeah Corey stole jason clark kyle chandler uh Hines, hines uh pablo schreiber William uh, patrick fugit yeah 
all of them just were amazing in in their uh, in their small but very significant roles. Agreed. Well, one thing that I th I think held the movie back a little bit was that like in movies like this where like it's NASA, it's like a, and it's supposed to be like a movie about process and like really brilliant minds. I really don't think the screenplay really reflected that. Like in, from Earth to the Moon or something like Margin Call or something. There's like a distance sort of between like the screenwriting and the audience where you you like it like thrown all this jargon and aura of the setting. I really don't think we got that. I think it like sort of coddled the audience. It was a little too easy to digest for me to really get like immersed in the actual like the the NASA scenes. Did you guys feel that at all? I, I know what you're saying and I, I um I would say that was one of the few things that in comparing it to Apollo thirteen, that I would say Apollo 13 definitely did better because um, Apollo 13 does a great job of not dumbing anything down but making you feel like you can understand it all where First Man may have tended toward either like you said, either not explaining enough or um, just recognizing you're not going to understand all the jargon I'm about to throw out there and, and kind of left it at that uh, yeah, if there was if there was one small flaw, I would say that. Yeah, you know, I, I I disagree, Todd. I thought I thought it was the balance was was fine, and and what I I would rather err on the side of jargon than like Interstellar when it which, which is a film that I think is really overrated, and a film that that indulged too much in the personal side and moved away from the the as you say the jargon or the physics or the you know the 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 language of it the jargon. Um, but this movie, I thought, did an admirable job because, I mean, the, the way I saw it is that it was, a, it was a character study. And I think we saw enough of the kind of chronological development of NASA to understand the broad strokes of what they were doing. And to me, that was sufficient. Plus, yeah, and I get it. It's, it's not about NASA. It's about Neil Armstrong. I get that. But I, I just, I don't know. That would have probably took, taken me into it more, I guess. Well, I mean, there's that scene where he looks at the book and it's like 600 pages of the first chapter about rocket science. I mean, you really want a movie like that? I don't. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, I guess I'm not really a Josh Singer fan, honestly. Like, I, I thought The Post had similar problems, but I don't know. Well, this is definitely a very different script than The Post. This one actually well, yeah. feels like it has humans in it. So, truth. yeah. Anyways, uh, so let's uh, wrap this up. Zach and I are giving this four stars, saying it's one of the best films of the year. Todd, not giving it two and a half, but he is giving it three. Uh, a little, uh, a little not as not as keen as we are on it, but he definitely thinks it's uh, it's worth a watch. So if you haven't done so already, go find First Man in the theater. It, I would say it is one that will definitely be better to watch in the theater. Uh, than it would be at home because of uh, all the amazing uh, visuals and uh, amazing scenes uh, in space. So definitely try and check that one out. Okay, we are moving on from our movie reviews and into our spotlight segment. And our spotlight segment is going to be celebrating another film that just came out. This weekend saw the release of the new Halloween movie, The Return of Michael Myers, The Return of Jamie Lee Curtis to the franchise, and it's really working on rebooting that franchise behind David Gordon Green. And 
So we are going to be looking at the Mount Rushmore of reboots. And what is what are the, the greatest reboots of all time? As as uh, they're trying to do with Halloween, what were the best uh, best times that this happened? So the way this works is each of us will put forth a non-negotiable to put up on Mount Rushmore, and then we will open up debate to try and figure out who that who the Teddy Roosevelt of the group is. I mean, let's be honest, he's the one that there's some debate. So. Uh, let's uh let's go to <laughs> let's go to Zach. Zach, who is what is your uh, reboot Mount Rushmore that well, you're going to put up there? You know, when I think reboots, I think about something that was great in the past historically, and is still great to listen to, but or watch, and uh, needs to be in the debate culturally again. And when I think reboot, the best reboots, I think about the reboot of the Red and Brown podcast. I mean, this was something that needed to be rebooted, and it's there, and it's back, baby. And you know what? Ben and Ben and Adam, they're going full force, and uh, I love it. So that's my Mount Rushmore reboot right there, the Bread, Red and Brown Bread, Bread and Brown pod, podcast. Yeah. Okay, uh, in all seriousness. Um, no, I, I, I'm... Uh, <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I'm actually gonna. If if we if we have to limit it to movies, unfortunately, which it sounds like we do, um, I'm actually gonna go with uh, Ocean's Eleven because um, the original Ocean's Eleven is not a great movie. I've tried to watch it actually a couple times and can't make it all the way to the end. It's just bad. It's poor acting, and Angie Dickinson looks ridiculous in the movie, and it's just not that great. And the 2001 version. Um, it was just awesome. Steven Soderbergh coming off the heels of an Oscar win and an all-star cast, and uh, it still holds up really well. And uh, when I think Las Vegas movies, I think Ocean's Eleven, and I don't think of Frank Sinatra. I think of George Clooney, and I think of Don Cheadle, and I think of Julia Roberts, and uh, I don't think of Bruce Willis because Ocean's Twelve is sacrilegious, but uh, Ocean's Eleven is a great reboot. That is my Mount Rushmore entry. Great choice, great choice. Todd, what is your entry? Okay, I had a few that I was thinking about, seriously, but uh, I ended up going with Casino Royale. Uh, it's it's the only Bond movie you can really consider a reboot because it, it went back to the beginning. There was no, like, awkward try to transition from one Bond to another and keep the same storyline. The only thing they did was keep Judi Dench because she's Judi Dench. Uh, but... I think Casino Royale is an awesome movie. It's one of the best Bond movies, and it really established Daniel Craig as the second best Bond, like, almost immediately. It's a really cool movie. It goes with, like, more of the Bourne feel than, like, the the corny uh, Pierce Brosnan, Roger Moore kind of stuff, and it's got really an awesome extended poker scene, and uh, it's it's one of, yeah, one of the best Bond movies, and for sure, like, the, the reboot that we needed because uh, where it eventually went, which was Skyfall and Inspector, really, really great movies, and this was the one that started that. Another very good choice. All right, so um, for my uh, Mount Rushmore reboot that I'm going to put up there, uh, I'm going to go to uh, to uh, the comic book world, and I'm going to put up Batman as my uh, reboot for, for Mount Rushmore. Uh, Tim Burton did an amazing job with Batman, with uh, Batman and Batman Returns, uh, 
with Michael Keaton as uh, as Bruce Wayne, uh, and he he still is Batman. I think he's he's like the one that has carried that mantle like his entire career. Then Joel Schumacher ruined it. Batman Forever was good. Batman, Batman and Forever Robin was. Well, Batman and Robin though was terrible, and it just it took all the bad parts of Batman Forever, and just made them even worse. And what's amazing is only about seven years after Batman and Robin just completely ruined the franchise, Christopher Nolan comes out with Batman Begins, completely reboots it with Christian Bale, completely turns it into something, something amazing and something different and something that in some ways reinvented comic book movies um, for a lot of people and kind of like what Todd said what Casino Royale did in setting up things like Skyfall Batman Begins set it up The Dark Knight which many people consider the greatest comic book movie of all time so I think definitely if you're talking about Mount Rushmore you need something to represent uh, a franchise like that and Batman is definitely the one you need to put up there because of the heights it was able to go to through its reboot. So, we have uh, Ocean's Eleven, we have James Bond, we have Batman. Uh, where are we going for our uh, for our fourth movie, fourth reboot to put onto Mount Rushmore? Well, I would suggest Piranha 3D if I didn't think that would go over like a lead balloon. But <laughs> Piranha's a reboot? I... Yeah, and it it was. Uh, I I was I was uh, thinking about Rise of the Planet of the Apes, uh, Mad Max Fury Road, Star Trek potentially. Those are ones that I I was thinking pretty strongly about. Yeah, I was thinking X Men First Class, Spider Man Homecoming, Mad Max Fury Road, and uh, Dread, but for unintentional comic reasons. Uh, I, I would agree with, with several of those. I like, uh, I like X-Men being on there. Um, I like, uh... I didn't like First Class. What? You didn't like First Class. What? You suck. Dude. I know. You gotta admit, it's better than X-Men 3, though. Oh, yeah, that's not saying much. Yeah, that, like, that just ruined it. It's like saying it's better than Apocalypse. Apocalypse is very bad, too. Yeah, it wasn't that bad. I, I'm I'm a big fan of the X Men movies. Anyways, um, I would say that um, I'm not a big fan of Mad Max Fury Road. I'm one of the few people in the world that really didn't like it. However, I do realize the uh, the importance of it and how uh, amazing it was to uh, to reboot and how you got a reboot nominated for Best Picture and it was nominated for how many Oscars, Todd? Wasn't it like eleven? Twenty seven. Yeah. Yeah, it was 10 or 11, yeah. Yeah, that that's Without insane. any acting nominations. <laughs> right, right. And every every tech nomination, right? What was that stat? Yeah, that 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 and The Revenant were nominated for every artistic and technical nomination. And it had only happened like twice before and it happened twice in the same year. Yeah. So, I uh even though I don't like Mad Max Fury Road, I would be okay if it ended up on the reboot Mount Rushmore, if that's where we wanted to go. You know, you're both alienating a lot of listeners talking about your disdain for Mad Max Fury Road and X-Men First Class. I mean, that's just, you know, that's just not cool, guys. I mean... And Piranha yeah, 3D. Yeah, I mean, come on. Yeah. I bet the Red and Brown well, we podcast could... would have a better reboot list. 
But just throw we could just out. rehash last podcast's argument and uh, mention a Star is Born. You know, that was originally going to be one of my sure. choices also, but I feel like Todd would disagree with that. I'm not really sure it's a reboot. It's just a remake. Like, there's not going to be another one. That's Why? true. There's not going to be... What? Like, reboots are, like, franchise developers, right? I could see a, yeah. a, another one with Lady Gaga and Sam Elliott hitting the road. Come on. It's possible. Star is Born 2. A star is Born... Yeah, Star is Born 2. The That's Star is Grown Up. I think that was there was a spoiler in there somewhere. I think we should go with Spider-Man: Homecoming. I think it's the film that the three the three of us agree on. I don't oh really come like on, Todd! I, I was honestly <laughs> honestly the the best movies that I think that were reboots are Batman Begins and Rise of the Planet of the Apes. But you guys, whatever. I will I will agree. Rise of the Planet of the Apes is pretty amazing. Yeah, I haven't seen Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Oh. Uh. I think that I would whole, say that, that whole series is pretty awesome. Yeah, it but is, I haven't actually seen the original, so which makes it worse. It is it <laughs> I mean, is the should, most uh, underrated trilogy of the last ten years. I will say that. Wow, it's going out there on a limb. Um, but yeah, I haven't seen the original either, so I don't think we can pick it. What about Dawn of the Dead? Have we talked about that? That was a great reboot. I'm not really sure that was a reboot because they made other ones of those too. Like the, they made remakes of the other ones in that series. I guess before that. I guess that's a good point, but considering we're not coming to a consensus very easily, maybe we should just uh, be flexible and put it on. Don't we all like Star Trek? I think we all like Star Trek. <laughs> I like I mean, Star it's Trek. It's not a great movie, but it's, it's okay. Good. It's not great. I never saw any of the original ones, but I did like the new ones. All right, let's. Well, if if we can go with Fury Road, I would be happy with that. Yeah, but I'm that... fine with Fury Road. Then it's 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 three for Fury Road. Okay. And, may, and maybe we'll have to do another podcast, a la Margaret and History of Violence, when Terry rewatches it and realizes it's a, it's a great movie. <laughs> I, I I do need to give that one a second chance. I do. Uh, so our uh, Mount Rushmore of uh, rebooted franchises is Ocean's Eleven, James Bond, Casino Royale, Batman Begins, and Mad Max Fury It was Fury Batman. Road. Batman, Batman Begins. Yeah, it was, yeah. It was Batman. Batman Begins was the reboot of Batman. Yeah. Oh. It was? I thought you were saying, like, Batman is in the reboot of, like, the Adam West series. Yeah, I was a little confused by that too, Terry. Yeah, you, I, I really thought you were talking about Batman, so I, <laughs> I went on for, like, five minutes talking about how terrible Joel Schumacher was. Were you listening? Speaking of Joel yeah. Schumacher, did you ever, see the, you talk about did the you ever see the clip of George Clooney on the Graham Norton show talking about his experiences with Joel Schumacher directing him in Batman and Robin? No. I, I, I do if you that, if you I haven't think. seen that clip Terry you need to watch it and listener all, all three listeners out there you should watch that clip because <laughs> it is hilarious and George Clooney does a really great impression of Joel Schumacher very nice very nice all right so let's move on from our uh, from our Mount Rushmore that was that was that was quite beautiful the there. that was that was stupendous. <laughs> that wasn't like that was like the opposite of a mountain that was like a crater 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, especially the fact that none of you were listening to anything. <laughs> well, we thought we, you were talking about Adam West, Terry. I mean, come on, be be clear, clarify. <laughs> yeah, you were not listening. Okay, let's just move on. Two power rankings. All right, uh, Zach, I believe you were the uh, winner that chose this category, correct? Correct. All right. So uh, tell us what we are uh, what we are ranking today. Well, this was the power rankings I wanted for last episode because it would have coincided really well with our review of A Star Is Born. But that's just you know my commentary aside. Um, best fictional musicians, both on film or TV. Or media. All right. So, you know, like Joaquin Phoenix and Walk the Line. You know, that was a great p- performance as a musician, but unfortunately, Johnny Cash was a real person. So, we are talking about fictional musicians. <laughs> Does Joaquin Phoenix and I'm Still Here count? Ooh, that's a great question. That's like a that's an existential. <laughs> Yo, question. absolutely, Abs- it counts. yeah, Ab- for sure. Okay. Okay. So, so that that's that's the line when, uh, yeah, okay. So, uh, Todd, why don't you start with this one? Number five, top uh, fictional musicians. All right. So, uh, since the category is so broad, I didn't even really think like necessarily they had to be professionals or even that good. So, I went with oh, uh, Jonah Hill's character Cyrus in Cyrus. Yes. Would you like to hear some of my my work? Yeah, why not? I mean, yeah. We... Great, great. Okay, great, great. Um, it's 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 untitled right now, and it's an unfinished piece. Sounds like Steve Miller. He is. He's an aspiring musician, uh, almost in like a Ross Geller kind of way, but he's slightly better than that. Uh, the one scene where he's actually playing the music, it's really awkward and. Uh, John, played by John C. Riley, is sitting there listening to him, and he says he sounds like Steve Miller, but he, but apparently he really does not, as he's like standing behind his switchboard, looking like a serial killer or something. Uh, I don't know, but the music is pretty bad. But I love the movie; it's one of my, he's and he's one of my favorite characters uh, of the last like ten years or so, and I think and it fits the category, so I had to include him. Cyrus, Jonah Hill, my number five. Well done. Well done. I hadn't even yes. thought of that one. By the way, Ross Geller is on my honorable mention, so uh, so there you go. Yeah, we've had a lot of conversations <laughs> nice. about our honorable mention. I think this might be the power ranking where we're more excited for our uh, honorable mentions than our actual list. Yeah, our, our right, list... Let's get through this real quick. Yeah, our list being a top five, we kind of had to be a little serious with it, but uh, the honorable mention is where we could have some fun. I don't know. I really like my top five, too. So, so first, I must say... Uh, I disqualified a couple things. I disqualified A Star is Born, since that is what we kind of... This was inspired by, so I decided not to put uh, either of the uh, leads from A Star is Born on my list. Another one that would have topped my list that I decided not to do was Once, because I feel like they're basically playing themselves. So that was kind of where I drew my line. Once I said... what I thought the same thing. Yeah. I, I, you I you felt, didn't do Once either, Todd? Okay. No. So one. So yeah, this I, is a, this is except for unlike uh, this isn't Fargo. This is a top, power rankings without once, because I didn't include them either. It was just, it was impossible to distinguish what what they were. 
Right, right. And yes. uh, yeah, so that, that would have easily topped our lists, I think. So uh, that is excluded. So number five on my list was actually mentioned on the last podcast as we were going through. Aldous Snow from Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Oh, does ancient skies I've had these wandering eyes But you took me by surprise When you let me inside of you Inside of you Inside of you This went from six to midnight. Um, yes, Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Not Get Him to the Greek, because that movie was terrible. But Forgetting Sarah Marshall, he was amazing. Uh, he's such an odd fellow. He uh, it introduced Russell Brand to the world, and uh, I I thought it was he's oh he's just so good in it. From the first time you see him in uh, in uh, his music video for Inside of You, which is the reason he was on the last podcast for uh, I think he was on your honorable mention, right, Zach? For oh uh, yes, film yes, entrances. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Um. But uh, any, anything from when he's singing to, uh, to when he's asking uh, Peter, played by Jason Segel, ha- have you seen my shoe? It's like, it's like this one, but, but not like the, it's, it's like this one's fellow. It's, 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 it's perfect. All the snow is ridiculous, and so he had to be my number five. Awesome. Two straight Jonah Hill movies. Uh, <laughs> Zach, which, what's yours? <laughs> well, I was going to go with Harmony Kareen from mid-90s, but I haven't seen it yet. Um, <laughs> no, unfortunately, I have to, br- I have to break the, uh, the Jonah Hill streak. My number five musician is, uh, technically it's, it's a group, but it's sort of one musician. It is Gus Polinski and the Kenosha Kickers, played by John Candy et al. in uh, Home Alone. Allow me to introduce myself. Gus Polinski... Polka King of the Midwest. Gus Polinski is is the Polka King of the Midwest. And you know what? Uh, One stranded uh, Christmas, he finds himself in Scranton, Pennsylvania in the airport and needs to get up to Sheboygan, Wisconsin. And and so he shares a a U-Haul van with uh, Kevin McAllister's mom, and they play some awesome polka hits. Uh, You may have heard some of the polka hits. They sold about maybe 600 records in the mid-70s. You may have heard of them. Kiss Me Polka, Polka, Polka. Anyway, they are uh, an awesome band, and and uh, I would buy their music and, um, you know, anything with John Candy. Uh, why wasn't Why wasn't Gus Polinski in Home Alone 2? You know what? They repeated the same, everything except for Gus Polinski. That's why the movie failed. And his cameo appearance by he Donald Trump. So. He should have just, like, wandered into, like, a nightclub where, where they were playing or something. That, in New York. That would have been amazing. Exactly. Yes, exactly. agree completely. Oh, that's a good one. Yes, great choice. All right, Todd, number four. Uh, okay, my number four is from School of Rock. It's Zach Mooneyham. And listen, Lucy Goosey, baby. Lucy Goosey. I'm just playing it the way you told me. I know, and you know what? It's perfect. But the thing is, rock is about the passion, man. <laughs> He used to play classical, but now he plays rock, you know. Uh, I, I love his, his creepy eyes when he just, like, rips into his guitar and holds up his pick. He's just, he looks, like, totally possessed, and 
he's awesome. He's like that cool classic guitar savant. I feel like he'd be friends with William Miller, and he'd probably be in Avenged Sevenfold or something. So, I love Zach Mooneyham. He's my number four. <laughs> this list is so stupid. I mean, what are we doing? <laughs> this list this is, is exactly amazing. What I thought. <laughs> this list is amazing. I love it. Zach Mooneyham. Ugh. Okay. So, uh, number four on my list is the Oneaters. I mean, the Wonders get Wonders from That Thing You Do. Starring, of course, Shades on the drums. And then you have Jimmy on guitar and lead vocals, who's really the the, the artist of the group. Uh, it, it's it's such a fun, uh, fun movie, and this group is really at the heart of it. And I would argue that the song That Thing You Do is got to be, like, top ten, like, original song in a movie of, like, the last... 30 years because it, it it's one that you hear it and it just gets stuck in your head and you're humming it for a week and you're never you're never too worried about it either it's it doesn't bother you too much that thing you do the oneaters number four nice it's a, it's a great choice although i really only think they were a one-hit wonder i mean i guess it kind of matches their name but the one one hit oneater yeah I would just put shades. I thought about putting just shades, but then I decided to go with the whole group. It's a good choice. Yeah. Okay, well, my number four is um, a musician that uh, actually never performs in the film, so we don't really know um, if he's actually that good or not. We have to build on his reputation because he comes to an unfortunate demise in the first ten minutes of this film. And that is uh, Rufus in Kill Bill Volume 2, played by Samuel L. Jackson. I was a drill, I was a drifter, I was a coaster, I was part of the gang, I was a bar K. If they come through Texas, I can play with them. Rufus, he's the man. And again, we're, we're going off reputation here. Rufus, uh, if they come through Texas, they played with him. And you know what? He was a drill, he was a drifter, he was a coaster. He was a part of the gang and he was a bar K. Um, and Rufus, he's the man. He's the man. He's the, you That's all you gotta say. Although Bill is too. I mean, but. you know, he's playing wedding songs now for Reverend Harmony, but you know, uh, he's the man. That's a, but Bill, Bill's the man too, and he plays the flute. That's true. But if they came through Texas, they played with Rufus. Bill probably played with Rufus. Whoa, that's that's a mind trip. It's too much to handle. <laughs> wow. Yeah. All right, Todd, while we process that, why don't you uh, hit us with your number three? <laughs> okay, my number three is one, one uh, from a movie that Terry and I really liked uh, a long time ago. That's The Lone Rangers from Airheads. Yes! Wow. With uh, Brendan Fraser, Steve Buscemi, and Adam Sandler. <laughs> They are um, they're awesome. Uh, you can't 
they have like the best name and the worst name because you can't pluralize the Lone Rangers because there's three of them. They're not exactly lone. Uh, but they're basically a bunch of d bumbling idiots, but Degenerate is actually a legit song, at least like the first like 30 seconds we hear before like the the, the dog peed on the cassette and it won't play anymore. And uh, they're like totally rock and roll. It's a guilty pleasure movie. I, I love the Lone Rangers. That's my number three. B. Arthur. Outstanding. Outstanding. <laughs> Uh, yeah, if you if you want to see an awesomely bad movie, find Airheads. It's it's worth a it's worth a view. Oh, that's a good one. Okay, number three on my list. I'm I'm going with something a little more serious than the rest of what we've done so far. Uh, number uh, number three on my list is Glenn Holland from Mr. Holland's Opus. Oh, good choice. Played by played by Richard Dreyfus, uh, he is a a music teacher who um, his whole uh, his whole career as a teacher he's been he's been working on his his opus his his masterpiece, and uh, and along the way he affects countless lives uh, as he's a as he's teaching high school high school music. And uh, the final scene, it gets me every time as he's getting ready to retire because they're cutting the music program. And his, pretty much his entire, uh, his entire past student body, all the alumni come back and perform his opus for him. And it, it's, it's an amazing film. Uh, he's an amazing musician for having written it. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's a, it's a great, great film. Uh, so, Mr. Holland is my number three. That that's a great choice. Although it's Portland movie, it's questionable how great of a musician he truly was because we only really heard one song he ever wrote. But it was a great song. I think the governor might have been a better musician than than he was. But just, just going to throw that out there. <laughs> Shots fired. Um. My number three pick is uh, best described as an old ex-heroin addict searching for a comeback at any price. And, you know, everyone's out there on Christmas in London, you know, and Blue is taking the record business by storm. But wouldn't it be great for, you know, a miserable old man to have a great comeback with the epic song Christmas is all around and that horrible fourth verse when they try to put in the extra syllable. That's right, my number three pick is none other than Billy Mack. I feel it in my fingers I feel it in my toes Christmas is all around me and so the feeling grows He's an artist, hangs out with Elton John and realizes that he's grown closest with his chubby employee, Chubbs, and uh, allegedly shagged Britney Spears. And uh, he's a great musician, and we all love uh, Bill Nighy as, as Billy Mack. And uh, he's the best part of that movie, and he's a great musician. So, more power to him. 
Billy Mac. By the way, the, the the movie is Love Actually. You oh, did yes. forget to mention that that was that's that true. Was from. That's true. <laughs> yes, that's right. Yeah, I was a little lost until you said Bill Nye. So. <laughs> oh, I knew who he was talking about right away, but yeah, you never mentioned it. I've I've only watched the movie once. It was a long what? time ago. What, dude? What are you doing in your life, Todd? <sighs> talking to you guys <laughs> touche okay well played well played my my number two is from a movie that i really like from a couple years ago uh it's uh from dope it's the group ario don't get deleted ada don't get deleted don't get deleted you keep jumping around in my face, you know. Life pushing me, it's difficult. Yeah, you hang around, you see every show. But you just make me weak, I'm about to explode. You would be surprised at this little soul. Tony Revolori, Malcolm Diggy, and Jig are their names. And they're like a group of super geeks. And their their music is actually pretty cool. Go Head it was one of my favorite songs of 2015. It was actually one of my favorite movies of 2015. It was really underseen. Uh, yeah. They're just a really cool, like, oddball high school band, and uh, I had to include them because I really like the movie. All right. Number two on my list. This was, like, such a hard decision. Of I've got two at the top, and I was having such a hard time deciding who to put one, who to put two. And I think Todd might be a little upset that I put this one number two, but I gotta go with it. Number two on my list from Troy, Michigan <laughs> Stillwater! It, it's they're amazing um fever dog that was a really a real step out for you guys russell your guitar playing is incendiary incendiary incendiary, incendiary. Hey, way incendiary to go incendiary too man <laughs> <laughs> don't ask me i'm just one of the out of focus guys um Stillwater is it's amazing. Russell has uh, got you standing on a fan's rooftop screaming, I'm a golden god. Hey, I never said I was a golden god. Or did I? Oh it, it's Rock and roll can save the world. The chicks are great. I sound like a dick. You are a dick. Oh, <laughs> uh, but it, yeah, anytime we can mention almost famous, it's worth it. And Stillwater is really the heart and soul of that entire movie, and so they have to be on my list. I'm just sad I couldn't put them number one, but they are number two. But number one in our hearts. There we go. That was like a Casey Kasem send-off. I like it. <laughs> but number one in our hearts. <laughs> All right, Zach. Number, number two? Number two. Number two is uh, Lewin Davis from Inside Lewin Davis. Second, please. Please, Mr. Kennedy. Uh -oh. I don't want to go. Don't show me in the outer space. Oh, please, Mr. Kennedy. Uh -oh. I don't want to go. And 
uh, he's struggling in the movie since the death of his uh, bandmate. Uh, I can't remember the guy's name. What was his name? I can't remember. Mike, that's right. Mike's suicide, I, th- I believe. Yeah, in, in struggling in the cold in New York City. And uh, Lewin Davis is a great musician, great folk musician with an appreciation for cats and guitars. And uh, apparently he was in the military at one point. And uh, he performs with Justin Timberlake and Kerry Mulligan from time to time. And Adam Driver sings about John F. Kennedy. And um, uh, you know Uh-oh. what? He may, he may never achieve the level of success as a Bob Dylan or as a Billy Mack or as a, uh, you know, Wonder or Aldous Snow. But he is number one in our hearts. And uh, he's the reason why Inside Lewin Davis is such a great movie. So Lewin Davis, my number two musician of all time all right nice uh well well done i probably would have included him if i wasn't in co- completely just going comedy with my list so <laughs> wait your list isn't serious with airheads what? and zach mooneyhan <laughs> exactly uh so with my number one i went with uh well, it was kind of obvious when I first heard it, which is Dewey Cox from Walk Hard. Uh, Walk hard, hard down life's rocky road. Walk bold, hard at my creed. He's got Walk Hard, he's got Let's Duet, he's got Guilty as Charged. He's just a hit machine, completely changes his style all the time. Uh... I I don't know. John C. Riley's just inspired Casty and he's amazing in that movie and it's a really funny movie and the I've listened to the soundtrack tons of times. Uh it pretty much gets the the music biopic and just like completely just trashes it. I, and I love that. And but takes it seriously seriously at the same time sort of. Uh I couldn't figure out anything else I put number 1 for fictional musicians. Dewey Cox, my favorite. I'm so glad you said that, because Dewey Cox is number one on my list, too. All the elevator buttons, so incredibly high. I stand today for the midget, half the size of a regular guy. Let me hold you, little man, as the parade there's, passes There's no one else by. you could have put number one. I mean, he is he is the the greatest musician of all time, and he because he is he's Johnny Cash, he's Bob Dylan, he's disco, he's everything all wrapped up into one. Even his big comeback and his uh, lifetime achievement award after uh, Walk Hard was remixed into a rap single by Lil Nutsack. Um, uh, he uh, and then he uh, has his his greatest song where he uh he then dies 10 seconds after finishing it dewey cox died uh oh it's if you've never seen walk hard uh it is it is amazing i may say possibly like one of the best soundtracks of the last decade 15 years the music is incredible i i I, yeah i listen to it all the time too I might actually like some of the songs that didn't make the movie better than the songs that did, because there's just so much good stuff in there. Uh, That's what I feel about with Once. Yeah, yeah. 
You could go there with some of the one songs too. But yeah, Dewey Cox. There was it, it there was no other choice. It it had to be Just leave me my monkey. Just you leave me my monkey. The wrong kid died. Uh yeah. <laughs> Dewey Cox number 1. All right, well, uh, Dewey Cox is not my number one. My number one, though, was just as obvious as Dewey Cox was to you, and that was uh, the one and only Spinal Tap. Big bottle, big bottle, talk about bone cakes, my girl's got em. Big bottle, drive me out of my mind, how could I leave this behind? Spinal Tap, known as the originals, and then known as new originals when but and then they went back to the originals then they became the thames men and then they became spinal tap and uh some of their famous albums include intravenous de milo bent for the rent uh smell the glove which is profiled their tour for that is profiled in the film and sh- and shark sandwich which one critic also called a sh- sandwich um you know what they are a hard-working band uh and uh you know they they uh, some of their hits uh, are just so memorable. You know, Sex Farm. Working on a sex farm. Gonna raise some hard love. Getting out my pitchfork. You know, how can you, how can you uh, supplant lyrics like that? How can you match that, that beauty? There's such a fine line between genius and stupidity, as uh, David St. Hubbins once said. So, um, you know what, Nigel Tufnell, uh, Derek Smalls, um, about maybe 50 drummers over the course of their history. Um, they are the greatest band. You know what? I'm going to go as far as to say they're the greatest rock band ever. I think they, they supersede uh, movies. They are just the greatest ever. And they are number one in our hearts and in the world. I'm realizing right now... Say, I'm realizing right now we missed a, a, uh, a great opportunity here to make this list a top 11. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Nicely done. That that would have been that would have been amazing. This one goes to eleven. However, I will argue that Walk Hard is a better movie than This Is Final Tap. That's ridiculous. I would sign off on that. That's ridiculous. You know what? Dewey Cox never did a number like Stonehenge. You know, there's he never did a number like uh, you know uh, Big Bottom. But but did Spinal Tap have a song with an army of didgeridoos? <laughs> did Dewey Cox have a sh- have an album that was just black? <laughs> did Spinal Tap saw their brother in half, completely right in half? Did Dewey Cox's drummers spontaneously combust? <laughs> I'm not sure he had a drummer. <laughs> Did he have a drummer? I don't know. Yeah, or wait, no, Tim Meadows. Wasn't Tim Meadows a drummer? I don't know. I think Tim Meadows was a drummer, but he he was his drug dealer. Yeah, he you never paid that. for drugs. <laughs> not once. <laughs> not once. Dude, you don't want any of this. I think I do. Well, Dewey Cox I think I want never some of that cocaine. Dewey Cox never played on the on the naval base during uh, family weekend and had a thirty minute bit and played Big Bottom. You know, you know, I really think he might have. Did at some point? 
Did, did Spinal Tap sing a protest song about the abuse of midgets? <laughs> no, but Spinal Tap had midgets dance Midget with the Stonehenge, and they were in danger of stomping on the Stonehenge when they were on stage. Well, you're beat two to one, Zach. I think I think we won this one. <laughs> Have you even seen Walk Hard? No, I've never seen Walk Hard. <laughs> Dude. Okay. Okay, when I beat you in trivia, you're watching Walk Hard. Done. Okay. Uh, all right. Now for the fun part. We were all looking forward to our honorable mentions. I think that oh, had to be yes, the, best, the best part of this. Okay. Finally. Todd. Todd, give us your honorable mentions. Okay. Uh, so <laughs> I went with a couple that have already been said. Uh, Russell Hammond from Almost Famous, of course. Lou and Davis had to be mentioned. Uh, a movie that I just watched recently that I really liked, uh, Hearts Beat Loud had a band called We're Not a Band, which Good I choice. liked. Then uh, there's DJ and Shug from uh, Hustle and Flow. When I was surprised Terry did not mention, which was uh, Tarek in The Visitor. The, yeah, the I thought about that. And then I have, uh, J- of course, uh, Jesse and the Rippers from Full House. Ooh, uh, good call. Alan oh, Matthews' wow. band, The Tongues from Boy Meets World, and then Sean and Corey's band, The Exits, which they don't actually play. They just keep their lunch in, in, yes. the, in the guitar case. Uh, and then I had to mention uh, Love Fist from uh, Grand Theft Auto Vice City, and, of course, Parappa the Rapper. Parappa the Rapper. <laughs> oh, this is amazing. This is amazing. Okay. Uh, my honorable mention is nowhere near as good as that. Um, I have... Let's see here. I know. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Uh, I have uh, Ernesto de la Cruz from Coco. Good, good uh, choice. Connor from Popstar, Never Stop, Never Stopping. Um... I have both both uh, Keir Knightley and Adam Levine from uh, Begin Again. Uh, I have uh, Robbie Hart from The Wedding Singer. Uh, and then uh, the last three are, are great ones. I, I said I didn't like Mad Max Fury Road, but the flaming guitarist from Mad Max Fury Road oh, had to be on my list choice. in my honorable mentions. That was a good That was one. a good choice. You know, in, and re- then, uh, in real life, he's oh yeah, go he, ahead. he's married to someone in real life. Who's he married to? He's like married to someone famous. I can't remember. I don't know. Maybe they're just almost famous. Oh, almost. Uh, yeah. Wah, wah, wah. Wah, wah, wah. Uh, then I've got a uh, I've got Al Pacino from Tropic Thunder. Uh, Booty Sweat is his big hit. And then last is nice. the uh, the classic '80s group. Uh, portrayed by Justin Timberlake and Andy Samberg on SNL, that brought us such classics as Dick in a Box and Mother Lover. Nice. By the way, the guitarist in Mad Max Fury Road is married to Riley Keough. Oh. His co-star. The more you know. The more you know. Okay, my honorable mentions list was Sam from Casablanca, because we all know how accurate he is when he's playing the piano in that movie. Uh, Jerry and Cookie Fleck from uh, 
uh, Best in Show with their albums about uh, Terriers. God loves a Terrier. Um, Hunter from The Office, Jan's assistant, who puts out the song, You Took Me By The Hand, Made Me a... Yeah, you're not going to get it, Todd, because you don't watch The Office. Um, That that was the most awkward episode of any episode (laughs) of that show. And he has an album, too. Um, Loaded Diaper from the uh, Diary of a Wimpy Kid movies. Sex Bomb Ob, which is the band in uh, uh, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Yes! (laughs) Yeah, I thought about that. Um, This is a dual one. Greg Brady as Johnny Bravo in the Brady Bunch movie. Um, just, you know, amazing music there. Um, Kathleen Turner Overdrive and I Stole My Grandma's Wheelchair from High Fidelity, two bands in High Fidelity. And, uh, I don't know how both of you missed this, but, uh, and I don't know how this didn't make my list either, but 1980s Dirk Diggler. You got the touch! You got the power! You know, the bass is eating up the vocals there, but you know what? Uh, he's number one in our hearts. Oh awesome. man! Not the first time you saying that on this podcast, by the way. <laughs> really? <laughs> That's somehow not surprising. <laughs> All right. So now that was ridiculous. Th- is, is any of this, this going to make like it impossible? To air? Are we going? Are we actually going to put this out? <laughs> Oh, oh, it's yeah, it's I all wanted, it's I wanted all to in talk there. about Jesse and the Rippers, dude. Jesse and the Rippers. <laughs> oh. It's the way back machine, <laughs> man. All right, so now oh god, is we got time to do have list. to oh shoot, we have to try and get Adam's list, which part. I think this is impossible. Because he could have, we, what did we just list off like 50 different groups and any of them are, uh, could be on his list and I have no idea which ones to go with. So, Todd, you, you be the first one to attempt this. Alright, so, uh, I went with number five, I went with, uh, Andrew Neiman from Whiplash, Ooh, that's Miles Keller's one. character. Oh. Uh, number four, I went with the Cantina Band in Star Wars. <laughs> It's a good one, too. Uh, number three, Mr. Holland from Mr. Holland's Opus. Number two, Stillwater. And number one, Miguel from Coco. Dang it. Todd's going to win this. Dude, you've got a good that, one. That okay. nailed that it. Yeah. <laughs> that was All brutal. Right. So, yeah, that was really good. All right, here's my list. It sucks compared to that. Number five, Spinal Tap. Number four, uh, The Once Group. Number three, Ernesto De La Cruz from Coco. Number two, I'm go I'm going with Connor from Popstar, Never Stop, Never Stopping. And then number one, Russell Hammond from uh, from Almost Famous. <sighs> Ugh, wow. Okay. Um, my number five is the Soggy Bottom Boys from Oh Brother Art Thou, which he probably has never seen. Number four oh, that's is amazing. Uh, Dewey Finn from uh, School of Rock. Number three is Dewey Cox from the titular Dewey Cox Walk Hard movie. Number two is the Blues Brothers, and number one is Stillwater. How did none of us mention Soggy Bottom Boys? They aren't that good. They only won a Grammy, you know? Oh, man. We went with the other Coen Brothers movie. That isn't Fargo. 
Yeah, well, we're not allowed to use Fargo. Jose Feliciano from Fargo could not be on this list. He's also a real musician. (laughs) All right, we have Adam's list now. So, he says, great list idea. Full disclosure, I have not seen This Is Spinal Tap or The Blues Brothers. Ah. Thanks, Adam. Damn it. I'm alive. Here's my list of favorite (laughs) fictional musicians. He's got an honorable mention list of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. He's got ten on his honorable mention. Oh, my God. Okay. So uh, his honorable mention is Autobahn from The Big Lebowski. Oh. Uh, Wild Stalins from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Uh, Dr. Funk's 100% Natural Good Time Family Band Solution from Arrested Development. Nice. Uh, School of Rock from School of Rock. The Soggy Bottom Boys from Oh Brother Where Art Thou. Dang it. The, I don't even know what this says. The Sauron Perfs from Frank. (laughs) That's the movie with Michael Fassbender in the head, right? (laughs) Yes. That's a great choice. That should have been uh, on his list. All right. Uh, Schroeder from Peanuts. Uh, Sex Bomb from Scott Pilgrim. Connor For Real slash The Style Boys from Popstar Never Stop Never Stopping. And Wait, do you have any left? <laughs> I don't think so. And uh, his last honorable mention is Figrin Dan and the Modal Nodes, a.k.a. the Cantina Band. Oh wow! From Star Wars, oh, just missed. <laughs> oh, I should at least get half point for that. Okay, number five is Mouse Rat from Parks and Rec. He says their best song is "The Pit" and Five Thousand Candles in the Wind." Uh, number four, Stillwater from Almost Famous. Best song is "Fever Dog," also a great cover of "Tiny Dancer." Uh, number three, Infant Sorrow slash Aldous Snow from Forgetting Sarah Marshall slash Get Him to the Greek. Best song, Bangers, Beans, and Mash, The Clap, Inside of You, and Going Up. Number two, Andrew from Whiplash. Oh. Dude. Yes. (laughs) He couldn't keep a beat, though. He was going too fast. And number one. Not my tempo. It's not my tempo. Number one is Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem from the Muppet movie. Best song, Love Ya to Death. All right. I got two. I got, I'm going to say I got one, because I have Russell Hammond and he said Stillwater. So I have one. I have one. I had Stillwater and Andrew Neiman. Dude. But yeah. None of, us had, none of us had the Muppet movie. I don't know. I'm I'm kind of calling the. I, 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 I'm not sure if that's really his number one. <laughs> I, I'm I, he had pop star in his honorable mention. I'll take that as a win. And I'm guessing he completely forgot he about also Coco. Had the canteen at the end. And he was the only. <laughs> yeah. Yes, he forgot about Coco. I thought that too. Completely. And he mentioned the Soggy Bottom Boys. The only mm-hmm. one of us to mention them. And nobody mentioned Eight Mile. I mentioned Al Pacino before I mentioned the Soggy Bottom Boys. 
I mentioned the tongues. <laughs> Alright, so Todd gets to pick the next, uh, the next power ranking category. That'll be on our next podcast. I, I, it's going to be hard to top this one, though. This was a lot of fun. This was a lot of fun. Possibly our best, uh, our best discussion around a, a power ranking. Eventually, we'll have to do like a power ranking of best power rankings. That would be a fun. I like one. it. I like it. Is th- it. That might be the most indulgent thing we'll ever these? do. Oh, not our Mount Rushmore of disagreements. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's pretty damn indulgent, Terry. <laughs> that, that was that was pretty indulgent. You're right. <laughs> All right. Oh, let's move on. Please, let's move on. Uh, it is now time for trivia. Okay, on the last podcast. Todd won, and Todd, what uh, what did you pick for Zach to watch? Uh, I picked the movie that he bought that he refused to watch. That's one of my favorite movies, The Tree of Wooden Clogs. Okay, Zach, tell us what you thought. The Tree of Wooden Clogs is um, a movie that, Todd, correct me if I'm wrong, but the only reason you watched it was because Al Pacino mentioned in some YouTube clip that it was uh, the best movie he had ever seen, right? Uh, yes. Well, he said that and Sing in the Rain is also good. <laughs> Sing in the Rain is good. That is the reason why I watched it. <laughs> um, well... So, uh, yeah, I had been avoiding this movie for a long time, mostly because it's a three-hour movie about farming in uh, rural Italy in the 1890s. Um, and, uh, you know, you'd think that there would be more of an audience for it, but um, I guess not. Um, it did win the Palme d'Or at the 1978 Cannes Film Festival, and it is by a renowned Italian director, Ermano Olmi. Um, it's universally heralded as a masterpiece by the 42 people who have seen it. And uh, I must confess, it is a great movie. I mean, you, the, you watch it, um, you learn, you, you follow the, the lives of these people that live in this um, really shoddy tenement on the land that's owned by this greedy landowner who's really never seen in the film. And we kind of follow the, the lives of these peasants over the course of one year, and the seasons change, and, um, you know, babies are born, uh, a cow gets sick, a couple gets married... Um, the, 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 the tree that, uh, is referred to in the title, um, it, there's a plot, a subplot that involves a father who has to cut down a tree in order to make a shoe for his, uh, son who's traveling four miles a day to get an education. Um, it's a tough film to watch in some regard because there is so little story. In fact, even even as after watching it, I'm still not really sure who all the characters were. You don't always necessarily hear them by name, and you don't really get to know them that intimately. It really covers this kind of broad spectrum of, uh, you know, a, do- a dozen of them or so. Um, but the movie is is really affecting, and we empathize with with their plight. It's a really horrible life uh, to live on this on this farm where the landowner uh, earns three quarters of whatever money they make um, on the on the plantation. 
Um, the movie has some um, subtle but recognizable Marxist undertones, and we see some scenes, um, especially when, when the married couple travels to Milan of social unrest, and we get a sense that in the near future, this community may not exist um, in the way that it does. In that sense, it reminded me a little bit of The White Ribbon, um, the uh, Michel Haneke film about Germany uh, right after the First World War, um, and sort of signaling things to come, social unrest to come. Um, do I think it's as great of a movie as Todd thinks it is? No. And I think the reason is because um, long stretches of it are very slow. You can tell that this is a movie made in the 1970s before uh, Heaven's Gate and the death of auteurism because this is a director only who directed it, wrote it, photographed it, and also edited it. And I think there's quite a bit of condensing that could probably happen for clarity of the story. Um, but that being said, it is a really affecting movie, and I think it transports you to this time and place, a unique time and place in history, um, and, and it really grabs you, and uh, you, you do have to be warned that there is some, actual, some really graphic footage in the movie of a pig being slaughtered, um, but other than long stretches where nothing really happens, uh, the movie is really good, and uh, it's definitely worth, worth seeking out, and uh, I've thought about it a lot since I've watched it, so thank you, Todd, for choosing it. It was a great pick. Um, I hope it, it, was, it was a nice payback for when I chose La Belle and Wazoo's, which was four hours long, so you know anything European and three, three hours plus um, is, is a great pick. This had less nudity in it, unfortunately, but it's still, it's still a solid pick. I'm glad you liked it. I, I honestly always thought it was kind of a Zack movie. It could have, like, with the plot being so thin, it could have been a Darden Brothers movie. Like, when his shoe breaks is, like, the like the main plot point in the movie. It's like when, like, Casey Affleck's trying to get down from the rock at Jerry or something like that. Like, that's really the amount of, like, lack of things that happen. But I always just thought it flowed so nicely, and I always thought it was basically, like, a perfect movie. Which is three hours is really hard to do. I don't think it's a perfect movie. I think especially in the first half, there are some scenes that just drag on way too long. And we never really get to know the characters that well, which is unfortunate. And my reaction to that is I almost felt like the director was generalizing a little bit. Like saying, oh, you know what? Um, none of these people are significant enough to merit their own story because they're all just a part of this peasant, uneducated class. And this is an art movie. And this is a movie for uh, educated intellectuals. And so I feel like the director deserves, if he's really going to be about the salts of the earth and these people that are so noble um, in the face of growing strands of Marxism in this Italian society, then we, I think we deserve more of a view of, of, how, of how rounded they are and their complexity instead of this oversimplified, oh, you know what, I'm going to put the chicken on the tomatoes and my cow is going to get sick and things like that. Um, that being said, though, it is a really good experience and I would recommend it to, to everyone because it, 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 movies aren't made like that anymore. And so it, it is an epic and, and worth seeking out. It's a solid three and a half star film. I'll take it. All right. It is a movie I have not seen. So uh so maybe it's one I need to catch at some point. Al Pacino likes it. All right, it. so <clears throat> there you go. That's all I need to know. So, uh with Todd winning last week's trivia contest, he is now the one running this game as uh as Zach and I will battle it out. So Todd, tell us what we're doing. All right, we're going to do a little bit of World Series of Pop Culture style filmography trivia. And they are going to be three categories. I'm going to give you a point for every answer you get, and then you can just keep going after the other person's done that way, because there's no way you're actually going to complete these. Uh, so I'll give you the first category so you can start thinking about it a bit. Uh, 
It has to do with uh, one of the movies that was inspiration for the podcast. That's Halloween. The writer of it is Danny McBride. And so we are going to do the movies that he has starred in. Uh, so you can't can't use his HBO shows or anything like that. Yeah, be theatrical release movies that Danny McBride has been in. So yeah, you will get a point for every answer you get right, and then you can keep going as long as as long as you can. They are thirty movies that he has been in in his career. It's been thirty movies. He's been in thirty movies since I believe like two thousand and two. Oh crap! Mm. <sighs> Brutal, Todd. Brutal. And, uh... So we will start with, uh, the person I wrote first on the page is Terry. So, Terry, you can choose whether you want to go first or second. I'm gonna go first. Okay. So I guarantee that I get at least one point. Um... (laughs) (laughs) I love Danny McBride, that's why I chose him. (laughs) I'm just having trouble thinking right now. Okay, uh, Tropic Thunder. Tropic Thunder is correct. Pineapple Express. What, you cut out, what'd you say? Pineapple Express. Pineapple Express is correct. Oh, what's the name of it? Um, is it Your Highness? Your Highness is correct. He okay. also wrote it. <laughs> All the Real Girls. All the Real Girls, his first movie directed by David Gordon Green. That's correct. I'm assuming the uh, Crocodile Dundee 2 does not count. <laughs> it's not an actual movie. <laughs> Anything? Um, okay, yeah, I got nothing. I got nothing. All right, wait, wait, no, 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 I got one, I got one, I got this is the end. Okay, fine. <laughs> this is the end. It's correct. Playing himself, obviously. Yes. A million, wa- a million ways to die in the West. He is not in What? That. Whatever, man. This contest <laughs> is rigged. Okay, uh, Terry, you're not adding anymore. Okay, so Terry's <laughs> up three to two. <laughs> Um, give me, give me like our worst. O- you don't need to list like the twenty we missed, but give a give like the worst what, omissions. Uh, was he in the sitter? Okay. Uh, oh, okay. no. Okay, so you missed uh, up in the air. Uh, he's in. Uh, he's oh. in uh, the disaster artist. Oh obviously, uh, shoot! Yeah, that's stupid. Uh, he's in super bad. Oh, uh, oh, hot, hot rod. Uh, and he's got voice work in Despicable Me, Kung Fu Panda 2, the Angry Birds movie. He was in 30 Minutes or Less, Alien Covenant, Aloha. <sighs> yeah. And he's, he's, I don't is, know. None of which are, like, super bad omissions, but... You is he in the upcoming Dick Cheney movie? I don't think okay. so. Okay. Making stuff up. 
Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, so for category number two, uh, I went uh, themed with space movies. I went back to Apollo 13, and one of the cast members is Kevin Bacon. So I went with the 33 movies he's been in since Apollo 13. So that takes out all of the typical Kevin Bacon Six Degrees movies. Uh, so you're going to have to dig a little deep because he does not have a whole lot of hits in the last 33 movies. And for this one, we will start with Zach. Mystic River. Mystic River is correct. The Woodsman. The Woodsman is correct. Crazy Stupid Love. Crazy Stupid Love is correct. Todd's favorite movie, X-Men First Class. X-Men First Class is unfortunately correct. Digging to China. Digging to China, underrated movie. Correct. I'm going to say Footloose. He is not in the remake of Footloose. Ah! That was a good stab. I, I had nothing else. Currently, it's 5 to 5. Zach, can you add any more? Midnight in the Garden of Good and Evil? That is not correct. That movie has everyone in it, so. Uh, notable omissions. His recent movie, Cop Car, uh, Frost Nixon. Oh. Uh, apparently he's in In the Cut. Uh, Patriot's Day, R.I.P.D., Sleepers. <sighs> Sleepers. Uh, of course, Wild Things. <sighs> Man. Uh, yeah. So... Uh, we are tied at 5-5 five to five now, and heading into our last category, which will be a little bit easier for you, at least I hope so. Uh, the star of A Star is Born, Bradley Cooper. We are going to list the 36 movies that he is in, not including A Star is Born, of course. And uh, so that will uh, probably rack up the points a little bit, and will be interesting to see who comes out on top. Uh, Perry gets to go first. Silver Linings Playbook. That is correct. Uh, well, can we say, can we say Star is Born? No, no, you can't oh, say okay. Star is Born. Oh, uh, okay. American Hustle. American Hustle is correct. American Sniper. American Sniper is correct. Joy. Joy is correct. Aloha. Aloha is correct. The Hangover. The Hangover is correct. Hangover Part 2! Hangover Part 2 is correct. Hangover Part 3. The Hangover Part 3 is correct. Wedding Crashers. Wedding Crashers, correct.
You need one to tie it up. Got nothing. Alright. Terry is victorious. Terry, can you still name any more? I've got one, maybe two more. What Hot American Summer he's in. Okay. Yeah, it was his first movie. And I didn't know if you were counting Mule or not. Mule? The new, the new, uh, new Clint Eastwood movie. Oh, no. It hasn't come out yet. So okay. So that's all I had. Alright, so Terry wins uh, 11 to 9. So Terry gets to tell Zach to watch Walk Hard, apparently. Yes! Sweet. You're watching Walk Hard. <laughs> probably. Okay, movies that. Probably, probably uh, more enjoyable than Tree of Wooden Clocks. Cer certainly. <laughs> you're gonna love shorter. it. More upbeat. Alright, so you guys missed quite a few uh, obvious ones like the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. Oh! Gosh! Uh, uh, Limitless, uh, the the A Team. Oh, uh, I love War, that movie. War Dogs. I hate that movie. War Dogs. The Yes or Yes Man. The Words. The Rocker. The Place Beyond the Palms. Oh, God. Burnt. Hit and Run. He's just not that into you. I don't know. Basically everything but like the four that you guys mentioned. <laughs> we got like a or dozen, I thought, combined. Well, if you count the three hangover movies. Yeah. Yeah, ten. Yeah, ten including the three hangover movies. I would have forgotten hangover if you hadn't said it, so. Well, there you go. All right. Well, uh. Well, yeah. We'll look forward to hearing you talk about Walk Hard in the next podcast. Can't wait. All right. It is time. It is time to wrap this up. And we always wrap up our podcast with. Our quote of the day. And for quote of the day this time, uh, I'm going to go ahead and start. Since uh, to the victor go the spoils. Uh, for my quote of the day, I am going to... Uh, it, it might take a little bit, but it's, it's, it'll be okay. My, uh, I'm going to quote a song from, uh, from Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox story. And this is, uh, this is the protest song he sings about the uh about all the little people in the world and uh the lyrics go all the elevator buttons so incredibly high i stand today for the midget half the size of a regular guy let me hold you little man as the parade passes by let me hold you little man we'll make believe you can fly you shout for me to put you down but i'm marching today for your cause I'm banging the drum, your big day will come when they remake The Wizard of Oz. Let me hold you, midget man, pretend that you're flying through in space. Let me hold you, midget man, so the dog will stop licking your face. There you go. Perfect. <laughs> Todd, why don't you go next? Alright, I went with a quote from... Uh... Uh, Airheads uh, by Chaz Darby or Chester Ogilvie is his actual real name, apparently. And it, it, it is one that sort of describes our podcast. Oh, and Zach's right on this one. It says, he says, I'm average and screwed up enough that I just might write a song that will live forever, and then it's all going to be worth it. <laughs> <laughs> so, I feel like that, that's what we do every week. <laughs> Dude, should I make Zach watch Airheads or Walk Hard? 
<laughs> hey, we'll save airheads for next time. <laughs> okay. All right, Zach. All right, well, my quote comes from uh, This is Spinal Tap, and this is um, when Marty DeBerge, the filmmaker, is talking about a review that Spinal Tap received of their album Intravenous de Milo, and he's reading from the reviewer, and he says, This tasteless cover is a good indication of the lack of musical invention within. The musical growth of this band cannot even be charted. They are treading water in a sea of retarded sexuality and bad poetry. And Nigel says, Well, that's just nitpicking, isn't it? And I feel that way about this podcast, too. Uh, all right all great choices all great choices uh well once again thank you so much for uh for listening to us uh ramble on and on uh hopefully you enjoyed it we will catch you in a couple weeks talk more about uh movies and whatever else uh comes to mind but uh until then uh have fun watching movies and we will catch you next time Despite your crass behavior, I'm glad we were able to do this together.